Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. You've been listening to Ruminations Show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs, and our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Due to the coronavirus restrictions, I'm interviewing from home via Zoom, so I'd like to welcome Yakov to the show. Hi, Yakov. Hi, Bill. How are you going? Good, thank you. Uh, Yakov is a compulsive gambler and he's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Yakov, it's just giving people a feel for um, what it's like to be a gambler, the sorts of things you go through and the issues you have to face and um, it's just trying to help them understand that everybody's different and there's no standard gambler. Um, Usually start off by talking about family and growing up. So what was it like growing up for you? Um, Okay, so I had a I had a pretty good, stable um, childhood. I've got, uh, I'm the youngest of four siblings, um, two elder brothers and an elder sister. My parents, who still live, or live at the moment with me just around the corner, who I've been close to and thankfully have been supportive of me throughout my, uh, my entire journey. And yeah, my parents are together. I've been married for 17 years now. I um, have four kids myself. But yeah, growing up was was pretty. Um, not really many complaints um, about my childhood. Um, I was a pretty happy boy, I think. Um, I enjoyed my sports. wasn't too interested in school, but managed to get by. And yeah, it was it was um, it was a pretty privileged childhood, really. If I'm if I'm honest, and perhaps that you know, if anything, may have led me to down the path where I ended up going, just the fact that I guess I really didn't have to fend for myself or face many consequences for any of my actions, being the youngest of four, um, always the one that couldn't do any wrong. And um, yeah. Okay. So what was it like at school? Did you have plenty of friends? Yeah, thankfully I did. Um, I guess, you know, being a boy into sports and, you know, fairly decent at sports. A lot of the, my social life revolved around that, um, you know, playing in different sports clubs and that, that sort of filled up most of my um, social experience. And, um, yeah, it was, I, you know, I had, I had a best friend that I was really close with that ended up moving to overseas to, um, when I was in year seven. Um, But following that, I still had a pretty close group of friends. And yeah, my my school life was pretty, my school life was pretty good and happy. Okay. Did you have any gamblers in the family or anybody who had any addictions? Um, So no, um, I sort of, and, and this is, I guess, ended up being a fairly large part of my uh, my struggle and my journey through um, when I found myself in the midst of an addiction was actually um, looking around at the different people that I was with, um, whether it be at a 12-step program or a couple times where I was um, in a rehabilitation centre. And often the questions would go around and people would mention things in their childhood which triggered them or which led them into a certain path. And for me, often it was actually one of the most difficult things trying to get a grasp with saying, how did I end up in this situation where I've got nothing to blame for it? Um, There's no, you know, there's nothing I can say I ended up here because this happened to me. Um, And it was actually something which was, which ended up being quite, yeah, ended up being quite difficult to deal with, which I, I eventually worked through, I think after many years, but yeah, my, my, none of my elder siblings, all my elder siblings, my parents always said to me, you know, they, they saved up all their energy um, to have to deal with me. Um, all my three elder siblings were pretty straight down the line. Um, 
and yeah, so are my parents, to be honest. Yeah. So when did you first start exhibiting symptoms? Because I guess one of the things with gambling is that you have to, you sort of have to lie about what you're doing to become a yep. real compulsive gambler. So when did you start not telling the truth? Um, so I would say not telling the truth was basically my first memory of, of real realizing that, you know, I had a real exhilaration of gambling was when I was about 15 and uh, there was seven or eight of us away um, at a friend's house, holiday house. And we, lo we wandered down to the local, um, the local pub, which had a few pokey machines on and everyone else was sort of having a giggle around and having a bit of fun, pushing a few buttons, you know, looking back, you know, I guess they, they let us in. It was just a, you know, it was in a regional area and I happened to get lucky pushing a button um, where, you know, a bunch of coins came out. And from that point on, I wasn't interested in socializing or sharing my experience with anybody. You know, this was something which I was zoned in on. I was, you know, I was focused on um, and didn't really want anyone to disturb my time. And then take that to, I guess, the real times when things started accelerating was when I was in year 12, I, I sort of lost my focus in school quite a bit. And uh, my school was next to a train station. And I'd say pretty much nearly every day of year 12, I would turn up to school, sign myself in. And after a couple hours, I'd actually ride my bike to the train station. I'd uh, put on... I changed my school shirt into a white shirt, put a tie on, um, being only 17 years old at the time, take a briefcase. I remember taking one of my old dad's briefcases from a laptop and I would train down to the casino in Melbourne and spend three, four hours there in the middle of the day in the afternoon while all my classmates were at school um, and then finish off about three o'clock in the afternoon take the train back on my bike, put my bike on the train back to the train station and then finish up the last half hour of school almost as if nothing had happened. And it kept on repeating itself and it wasn't for large amounts of money, but that it was just the thrill and the excitement of being there and just playing with a few dollars that I had at the time. And obviously I wasn't, you know, telling anybody where I was going. So, yeah. How come the school didn't realise that you were missing in action? Um, I guess in year 12, it's more um, because there's different students doing different classes um, and there's, you know, different um, subjects where you have um, free periods. And I also elected at that point to do the minimum amount of subjects I could do. Plus, I was doing one subject off campus. So I only had a few different, I only had about three subjects that I was doing at school. And um, yeah, looking back, I'm not quite sure how I got away with it. Um, but my tennis record, um, if they had the, the rule then that you had to serve a certain amount of attendance to pass, I think I might have had a problem. But, um, yeah, my attendance wasn't that great. And I, I guess I just got away with it by when the time came for an exam or a subject, you know, um, an assignment to be handed in, then I would just cram for the last couple of days and, and put something in to get by. Yeah. So what did your friends think? Um, I don't know at the time, to be honest, because I, I wouldn't have told anybody. This was a very much, uh, 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 you know, a, a, it, was a, it was a private thing. It was my thing. It was, it was something I was ashamed about, um, if I would tell my friends, to be honest. My parents did find out. My parents did find out um, about halfway through year 12. And at that stage, they actually they sent me to a, a gambling um, addiction uh, psychiatrist. Um, but it, my friends, my friends didn't know, um, you know, everyone's going to their own different classes. And I was just, I just tell them I was going home. Um, I was always just known as the person that, you know, I guess didn't bother about school that much, but no one was really, you know, I was sneaking off. I was making sure no one would find out where I was going and nobody would have thought, that I'd be sneaking off in the middle of school to the casino every day. And I oh, had no interest in telling them. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so did the, um, did the gambling psych help you? 
Um, honestly, no. I remember actually the gambling site was across the road from a pokies machine, a pokies venue. And I would often um, convince my parents to let me go by tram. And I would tram there and I would basically, as soon as I finished, I would actually head into the pokies for about half an hour afterwards before going home and explaining, you know, that the tram was late or anything. Because I think at the time, I just wasn't, at the time I thought I was invincible in terms of me having a problem. Um, you know, things, my life wasn't falling apart. My friendships weren't falling apart. And I wasn't feeling the consequences. I don't think I, I, I wasn't mature enough to really think deep inside, you know, what am I doing? And so therefore, when I was in the psych, it was kind of another challenge of how can I get past this? How can I pass this test without getting caught that I'm cheating and, and still go about gambling and, and, and doing what I wanted to do? So was the psychologist surprised about your behaviour or? Um, it's hard to, I mean, I, I guess, so I, it's, I mean, I was, I was 16 or 17 and, you know, I guess the psychologist isn't going to be, you know, looking at you with surprise. I guess that's not their job. It's probably to try and help with understanding. I mean, looking back, I think the psychologist probably would have been thinking, how's this kid getting away with it? <laughs> How's the school not know? Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's my, my, my memories were really just a phase because I was putting on another, when I went in, um, you know, I, I see a psychiatrist now and it's very important to me. And, you know, therapy is a big part of my life along with um, 12 step program. But at the time it would have been just me putting on a, um, a different face, a second face and answering the questions. However, I thought the psychiatrist thought the best way would be, would be to answer as if I was addressing my problem and as if I was, uh, you know, taking it seriously because I was able to get, you know, I was able to use words um, and convince people, you know, I was able to talk the talk and if he would have asked me something, I would have just thought clear in my head, okay, how can I answer this? That, the psychiatrist will be satisfied that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm progressing along without actually re really ever addressing the question internally myself. Yeah. So what did the uh, psychologist get you to try and do to solve the problem? Um, I do remember there was, I do remember there was one thing which was tried, which was after a while of, of asking me to, of basically, you know, cause I, I would have, I would have said, anything to keep on gambling so at the time i probably would have said yep i'm stopping gambling um so i would have told the psychiatrist that i probably stopped and i would have kept on going and at that time he may not have known you know different times i may have come clean i do remember one point in time um he did suggest a controlled form of gambling which would be me um going two or three times on a time where my parents knew where I was that I was gambling for a specific period of time, no more, no less, or definitely no more, um, you know, a specific amount of money. Um, but also remember this was me underage. This was, I was being, it was illegal officially for me to gamble. So I guess, you know, it, there wasn't really too many things to suggest or otherwise definitely a 12 step program never came up, um, not at a rehabilitation center. I think I probably would have been able to convince the psychiatrist at the time that the problem was not as big as it actually was or as it was festering to become into. Okay. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So all your gambling to that point had been illegal? Uh, yeah, basically, I guess, under the age of 18. Um, <laughs> it was illegal and it was, um, and it was you know, financed by my parents without them knowing it. So, you know, that's... There's not, there's not many ways, I guess, uh, how else I could have funded it. And I would, you know, I'd get caught by my parents, but, and then I would tell them I'm really sorry and I'm not going to do it again. And, you know, I think often I was sorry at the time. Um, it definitely was not something that I saw myself, you know, I wasn't happy, um, you know, sneaking a couple notes from, you know, one of my parents' um, wallets. But then the next day would come and the, urge to gamble would be there by this stage, you know, 
growing large and I just, I guess it was something, you know, I had to do what I had to do. I mean, it really, it really was when I mentioned it, it was, it was something, the biggest, like something that I really did struggle with was I'd been, you know, basically silver spoon fed my whole life, you know, supportive parents, supportive family. And I'd always look around me and everybody would have a different reason, you know, excuse why they fell into addiction or something. And, and it was something which really turned me into really not knowing why, how I became like this when everybody else seemed to have a reason. And for me, it was just simply the first time I gambled, I loved it. And, yeah. and it just turned into an addiction, which I mean, obviously it's due to my, my personality. Cause I guess, you know, as might come up later, I had a, a drug problem for a bit. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Well, we might just take a short break there. Oh, this week we're featuring um, the on fires and I'd like to do a shout out to Max Harmon of the on fires and to all of her kayaking friends at the Yarra Paddlers. Our first song is Coming Home off the On Fire's album Betrayer from 2010. Enjoy. It's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. 
If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, 10am every Monday morning on Community Radio 3CR. Also live streaming on the web and weekly podcasts at 3cr.org.au. So listen in for the very latest bicycle stories, news and views from Melbourne and around the cycling universe. Listen in. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, you can just call the 3CR office on 03 9419 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Yakov, and we're talking about recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Yakov, you know, you obviously finished school. So how did your gambling life progress once you left school? So yeah, so once I um, finished school and then eventually turned 18 and got my license, um, therefore obviously it came with a bit of freedom. Um, and I was at university at the time, which is a bit more freedom. And gambling pretty much became a full-time job for me, really. Not a great paying job, might I add, but it was, it was a full-time thing. It was, um, by this stage, once I'd, you know, had my own time, I had a car, um, I, I, took advantage, I took advantage of the fact that, you know, my parents would think I'd be at university and I was still living at home. Um, I'd have a car and I would, you know, drive to the university campus, park my car across the road. There was a couple different venues, um, which had a TAB and a pokies venue. And was also, I remember there was a, an internet cafe. I started playing online poker and online casino games. And so it would be almost day to day for about six months, day to day that I would, uh, just drive to university um, and then end up gambling all day and then came home. Um, so, yeah, and then after six months of university, um, there was actually a friend of mine at that stage, the first friend that had become aware of my situation, and he actually suggested to me and my parents um, that perhaps it might do me of some good to actually go overseas for a year or for six months do some community work overseas and basically just to get out of the situation I was in, get out of Melbourne. I mean, in, in uh, the U S gambling was illegal. And so I did that at that time. But then when I came back, it started all over again. So what did you do when you were traveling and you couldn't gamble? I think it was probably, it was hard at first. Um, I guess looking back, it actually was my, First, um, you know, um, putting myself properly or, you know, pretty hard into drugs, actually, that, you know, with the freedom overseas. And it wasn't something that I was conscious of at the time, but I guess it was something that I did swap one addiction for another and did, you know, find a group of people that basically were, you know, was able to experiment with some drugs with. Um, it was nothing, you know, too serious, but I guess looking back, it was something that I, I probably, you know, needed, you know, at that time I, I still, I still had, um, this feeling, which I didn't really discover until, you know, years later what it was, but this unease with being and just sitting and living with myself as a person who I am without some major distraction and, you know, overseas when I couldn't gamble, I guess I fell into something else which would um, take my mind off that distraction. So how were you funding all this lifestyle? Um, so my, my parents paid for my trip overseas. 
and uh, we were staying at people's houses um, that we were helping their community. They, they were running a community over there. A, uh, um, they had a, a synagogue with um, some services and I, I was a teacher at a Sunday school for some younger kids. And, you know, I helped just around the community run things. Um, and they gave, they gave us a little, um, you know, just a little uh, um, spending, uh, you know, a bit, uh, uh, some, some pocket money, basically. And then, you know, overseas. And then I, I, I didn't really have that many expenses overseas, um, you know. And then when I came back, um, that's when I, you know, started getting a, a part-time job, um, you know, where I went through a couple of different part-time jobs, you know, as a, a delivery driver for a pizza shop and a telemarketer for a few months and just was getting a bit of money here and there. And at this stage, the gambling really wasn't a lot of money. It was just the excitement. It didn't matter what it was. If I had, you know, if I had $100, then a $10 bet would be exciting. And if I had $200, then I'd need a bet $20 for it to be exciting. And then if it came down to me only having $20, well, all of a sudden, a $1 spin of a, a machine would be exciting until, of course, the money would run out. And that's when you start feeling all the things that, you know, you, what am I doing? How am I living like this? You know, I'm going to change tomorrow. It's not going to be the same. Wake up the next day and, and repeat the cycle over again. Yeah. So what about relationships? Were you pretty much isolating, you know, just being on your own? Um, so it was actually at, at this stage um, where I was, I was back at university. I was, I was still gambling and I was, you know, I was um, smoking marijuana um, quite heavily. Um, and it was actually at that stage when I was, I was 19 at the time where I ended up meeting my meeting a girl um who ended up becoming my wife um and who's you know thankfully still my wife 17 years later um and so yeah i i, I had you know social friends and i had i then had i met um met, i met a girl um but while i was at the beginning of dating her i was still carrying on all these you know i was still gambling and I was still smoking, uh, but I was hiding it from her. I was hiding from her. I was hiding from my friends. I was hiding from everybody. My my addictive, all my all my addictive actions and 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 things throughout my whole life has always been about solitude, and it's always been about being comfortable, being lonely, away from people, and into getting my mind into into the the whatever the you know addictive behaviors at the time which is very contrast to what i guess might have been seen in me at the time i was seen as a very outgoing person as often you know the the jokester of the party very social but again really that was i was really living a double standard there was the me in the public spotlight where i was you know joking around and you know playing the part i guess and then there was me when I'd be alone and all the music would stop and I'd just have myself to, to live with and to deal with. And something about that was just uncomfortable and I would then go looking for, for some vice to, to fill the void. So it, it must have been quite difficult having a relationship and gambling at the same time. Yeah, it was. And actually, a few months into it, um, when I, I remember actually... I, I came clean. I came clean to my girlfriend and because things were getting quite serious and it was actually the first, this was actually the first time where I myself decided and I was being serious that I wanted to stop and that I wanted to come clean because I basically, what happened first is the one day I actually broke up with her. The reason being simply it was too much to handle um, having a girlfriend and managing being a, a gambling addict and a, and a pothead on the side. And I chose being a, a gambling addict and a, and, a, and a pothead. And it was just a day or two later where I just think I had a moment where I realized what on earth are you doing? This is girls, the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life. 
um, she's somebody that was much more than I deserved, you know, for the person I was at the time. And, you know, how can I give up on her for this? And it was the first time where I think I actually had a moment where I realized the seriousness, if I was going to give up on this relationship, just in order to continue going on with, with these things, then that's, you know, that's, that's not child's play anymore. That's just being stupid. So I went and I confronted her and I basically came clean with everything. And um, she was accepting, you know, I was being genuine at the time. I was open. I was honest. Um, it came as a shock because I was, you know, pretty good at hiding things. It came as a shock, but I was, I, I meant it and I was, you know, I was serious about it. And I think that was probably about five or six months into us or four or five months into us going out. And um, after a year of dating, I eventually proposed and she said yes. But unfortunately, during our engagement period, I, I started back with gambling hadn't had given up on the on the drugs and that wasn't the problem anymore and really drugs were never really drugs really only came into play when when there was a problem when there was some way getting in the way of me gambling and that was definitely the number one issue that I had and yeah but but when we're engaged um even though everything was telling me don't do this don't stuff it up the the pull to back into the addiction was just far too strong um so I, I gambled through our engagement period, um, promising myself I'd stop when I got married. I got married. We got married. I gambled through the first year of our marriage, promising myself uh, my wife got pregnant. Um, I gambled, promising myself when my first child comes along, that's it. I'm going to stop. I've got to stop this now. I can't keep on carrying on. I can't keep on lying. I can't, you know, it's not now just my finances we're dealing with, at the time I was still in university, my wife was working, um, sharing a joint bank account. It wasn't my money that I was taking from, it was my wife, it was my kid. You know, but again, that wasn't a big enough thing to stop. And then a year and a half later, my wife gets pregnant again and we have a second child. And by this stage, you know, there'd been times where I'd got busted by my wife and I, you know, I'd apologized and I promised to stop and many times being very serious at the time and I was sorry and I was you know uh, and, and I was sorry um, it wasn't I wasn't enjoying seeing what I was doing to her but it always came back and I'm, I might stop for three four days but because I wasn't actually doing anything helping myself to stop I was just relying on my own uh, free will it never worked out so so uh, it kept on going on and it was at the time when my second child was born and when my second child was born, the, my wife was in the hospital for, you know, a number of days. And I basically looked at that time as like, this is my gambling time. I said to my in-laws, you have to take care of my daughter, my one and a half year old daughter, um, because I've got to work. I worked from home. I'd, I'd started up my own business, um, selling things online on eBay. It was going, you know, decently well. Um, I said, "I've got, I've got to work. I've got work to do. Can you take care of my daughter?" And they were, you know, for sure happy. Obviously, you have work to do. And I literally just popped in in the few days my wife was in hospital for half an hour a day. I was, you know, physically there, but I wasn't even mentally there um, for that half hour. And that's just because I'd been at home on my computer, gambling online every morning till 6.30 a.m., waking up at 8.30 a.m., working a bit, gambling some more, and I just wasn't there. And it was after this time where my wife confronted me and, and said, you know, this is serious. This is something that we've got to deal with. Um, and it was at that time where a friend of mine, for the first time, actually introduced me to GA um, because... This was, a, this was at a stage where, you know, my, my marriage was being threatened. Um, I was finally facing consequences, consequences which I'd always in my head thought I was, I was bulletproof from. That would never affect me because I'd always end up being able to get away with things because I had a lot of love around me and 
It didn't matter what I did. I could always apologize. Things would always be right. But at this stage in time, it was the first time I remember my wife saying to me, I can love you as much as anything, but there's just only a certain amount that I can put up with for a husband and a, and a father if we want to build a, a family together. And I, I just can't deal. I can't, you know, I can't put up with this emotional roller coaster and not knowing when you're telling the truth, not knowing, you know, when I have to look over my head, when to believe you, when not to. And yeah, so that was, that was uh, the first time when I was 23, um, just a few months after my second um, child was born, where I, I first went into GA. Okay. Well, listen, we might just take a quick break there. Next up, we've got Melancholy, again by The On Fires. It's off their Betrayer album from 2010. Victoria Women's Centre is calling all craftivists to join us and make a fuss. Make a fuss is a crowdsourced craftivist project looking for submissions on the theme of women's silence. If you've experienced a time when you didn't want to make a fuss, why not get crafting and make some noise? For more information, go to qvwc.org.au and click on Make a Fuss. Submissions close August 19th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne. 
bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And I'm talking with Yakov, and we're talking about recovering from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so Yakov, sort of left you coming into Gamblers Anonymous. So what's it like going to your first GA meeting? So obviously I can only speak from personal experience and obviously for me being 23 at the time, um, it was looking around and seeing people that have seen, I was probably the youngest by about 15 years old, by about 15 years. I was, there were other people, I could have gone around to every person in my head and said, you know, this person's worse because I haven't done this and this person, I haven't done this yet and I haven't done this. But yeah, that was, ended up being the important key word was yet. Um, because although um, it was successful when I went to GA in that um, it did scare me quite a bit and, you know, the situation within my family and knowing things were on the line for the first time scared me straight enough that um, I did end up stopping and was able to stop with the help of GA and it very much was with the help of GA because before then I, I just had no control whatsoever any amount of the times where I'd promised myself that's it I'm stopping there was just there was absolutely nothing um, that I could do to myself to actually stop but I just found the fact of having to turn up week after week um, and and reporting I guess back to a group of people and there being people finally that could understand what I was going through without thinking that meant that that you know, described everything about me as a person. Just because I was doing certain, th- certain things, it didn't mean that I am a certain type of person. And I was quite surprised, to be honest, to find a real range of people um, from, you know, all different economic backgrounds, um, you know, all different demographic, religious, like all different people, um, that any idea in my head of what I imagined or pictured you know a quote-unquote addict to be ended up being tossed out the window pretty quick and that was comforting knowing that there wasn't a certain mold you had to be in order to classify yourself as an addict because obviously it's very um, intimidating and scary the first time you go up and you say you know I am Yaakov and I am an addict and you know you feel like you're labeling yourself that way but instead of it actually being you know worrisome or, or intimidating was actually quite freeing um, because I was able to say that and see other people that were able to say that even though they'd been clean for 15 years and were living these great lives now free of addiction and you know basking in the glory of recovery but they still yet they still said you know I am an addict and it was and I learned that it was important it was important to to do the program properly um, it was important to you know, follow the guidelines of, of, of GA, um, follow things properly, and that could lead you to a better life. Um, unfortunately, after a couple of years, I guess um, there's no better way to put it than I just got, um, I got, uh, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I got... Uh, complacent. Complacent is the word I'm thinking of. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I got complacent. Um, and I stopped attending meetings. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was, I'm mature now. I thought I'd never really had a point in time before in my life where I was able actually to, you know, have clear thinking and a clear way of living and able to mature. And during this time, um, and over these few years, I've been able to build up a business. Um, I've been able to, you know, become a, an upstanding member of society, so to speak. Um, so after a couple of years, I, I just uh, stopped, you know, started becoming you know, one excuse of I had this going on and then another, and then I was, oh, I'm just too tired tonight until eventually um, I just stopped attending. You know, the lessons within me kept going, I guess, for another couple of years. But what happens is even though you're, you're being abstinent, if you're not gambling, you stop your recovery. And the, the lessons that you 
that you that you're living and the reminders that you need of how this illness and disease can strike at any time they stop so it came to be about when i was about four years later when i was 27 where i i sort of uh, with permission at that time because at that time you know over those four years all of a sudden honesty became important truth became important you know for the first time in my life regarding this concept and i asked my wife i'm like can i um you know i'm a lot more mature now can i just go and play poker with friends um you know i don't want to gamble at a casino is that but just to have a social time and she was obviously very reluctant and you know she, she saw the change that had happened the difference in me um you know from our first few years of marriage until the the last four years the different person that i'd become and she said no but i sort of you know and then i would stop and then i'd ask a month later and then eventually i guess she just said you know your own person um if you think you can handle it then go ahead um and and that was you know the worst thing that i ever did because um at this stage now now i had um, my own business with my own access to money now i had you know an office where i had access to you know computer to the internet anytime i wanted i obviously had freedom and i proceeded you know over the next few years gambling to get you know it started off slowly because i knew that you know i don't want it to get bad but time after time it progressed and it became uh, it became really really bad and um after a few years um it became something which again was took over my life completely and for for that year of probably 2012 i think it was um was a year where the best way that i could describe it was that i was like a walking zombie because i was at that point so engrossed in so engrossed in in my gambling and so disappointed in my gambling that um that drugs came back into my life and basically the only way that i could deal with what i was doing to my finances at that point was to i guess put myself to sleep by um by drug use because whenever i stopped to think about it when the gambling got to a stage where it needed to be a certain amount of money for it to be interesting and exciting eventually as you know happens to everybody eventually you start losing and when you start losing and then you have access to more money then you want to get it back because you're not happy with losing and then you want to get it back some more get it back some more until eventually that those last few months in 2012 were you know when i think back now makes me ill um where there was online casinos and by this stage i'd you know they had put a a, a person in charge of me um who was you know holding vip clients and he was offering me trips to interstate you know for a week he, they sent me i remember they sent me a set of golf clubs which is interestingly the only thing i've still got now from from gambling is is uh, my set of callaways that i have um that that they sent me and they would do anything to keep me gambling so if i would stop for a day or two they would say here we're putting some more money in your account go go gamble um and i remember the right at the end there's i i had i had i had a because i was betting also on sports at the time and i had this bet on the on a cricket game and and um the cricket game was halfway through where I actually had my own indoor cricket game that I was playing and I wanted to watch the ending because to me the gambling wasn't about the money to me it was about the excitement I got when I watched the experience so I put it on pause at um just a few overs before the game was about to finish you know my win was going to be in the you know six figures high six figures area but I I was confident it was going to happen and I come home and I push play on the recording a long story short there was it was uh, a team in a one day needed one run to win with four balls left and ended up losing which was just uh, unimaginable and i remember at that time my everything around me just froze and 
I, I was just, I actually, I remember pacing outside at three in the morning saying, please help me. Like, please help me from this. I, I just can't deal with this anymore. Um, I can't deal with, you know, how, how did this happen that I just, you know, lost the ability to purchase a, a flat for one of my kids when they grow up. Like it was, it was just too much. I ended up going to sleep and I think it was the next night actually where I was online and this time betting on a online casino and they had ridiculous amounts of money that you could bet on single blackjack hands and I was betting on it and I was looking at the money tick down, tick down. By this stage, I'd lost everything that I'd saved in the last four years and was just getting myself into more and more credit card debt. It was, it was frightening and I was shaking and I remember my wife asleep and the only thing I could think of was I couldn't pull myself away from the computer, but I managed to call my mother actually and I just said, come here to my house and help me because I can't stop. And I remember I wasn't even able to stop clicking the buttons even though as I heard her come at the, up the side of my house until she literally came physically took me from the chair and then said like, I'm here, I'm here. And then that, and then that was just like, okay, it's over. From that point, at that point of time, sort of came clear with everything again. And this time it was, you know, it was, uh, it was serious and it was, and it was, I ended up uh, going to a rehab center because it just wasn't something that I could get on, get over with on my own. I needed time to actually really, address things, look at things, deal with things. And I did for a, a couple of weeks and then went back to GA. And um, yeah, at, at, at that, and then at age 30, thankfully ended up able to, with the help of a business partner, because um, I'd run out of money, but I still had my business going on, um, was able to restart my business and um, yeah, from the age of 30, I went back to GA, had a few little busts here and there, but largely was okay and was able to stay off the punt and really this time recover properly. I went through the steps. I got a sponsor. Um, I did things properly. I can't say that I learned my lesson then because unfortunately a few months ago I had a small slip up, um, which thankfully I've been doing a lot of uh, self-growth recovery both inside the 12 steps and also with the psychiatrist over the last you know seven seven eight years but this time there was a, a small step a small break which I was able to put the pin on quite quickly but what it did make me realize was in no uncertain terms GA is an important thing not only to stop me from gambling but it is the only thing that will ensure um, that I'm able to stop gambling and stay stopped from gambling. Um, so since then, I haven't missed a meeting. Even with Corona, we've been having Zoom meetings. Um, it's something which is I'm now more committed than ever I was before, that regardless of whatever happens in the future, however I am, to continue going to meetings, and um, which I can't honestly say. It was always before a thought in my mind, you know, once I'm really okay, like I can't really see myself doing this in 20 years, in 10, in 30 years or, but now I don't see myself really now just GA meeting once a week is just locked in. Um, and it's an extremely small price to pay for the life that I've been able to build and, and have over the last, you know, over the last, I guess, 16 years of, of since I first went into GA but specifically over the last, you know, seven, eight years, where thankfully I've been able to build up trust. You know, in this time, I've also come out to all my friends. I've spoken about it a few times in a semi-public forum. And, you know, I'm try, I try to help people where I can. And it's not something anymore that I'm afraid of or that I try hide from. Um, in fact, it's something that I'm proud of because, you know, it is really, it's a big part of who I am. And it's, all of the, the mistakes and all of the bad things that have happened have been, it's from them that have been a direct influence onto the person I am now and the things that I hold now are very, 
you know, dearly and very important um, in my life really is all a direct result out of the lessons I guess I learned from being in the, in the midst of the shocking addiction. Thank you. Um, if anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information and for local phone numbers and meetings. Well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Yakov for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous helped him. Thanks, Yakov. Thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about 12-step recovery again. And thanks for listening. And stay tuned now for Alternative. Uh, to take us out, we've got Betrayer by Dion Fires off the Betrayer album. Yeah.